Thank you so much for joining us online. We want Bethany to be a place where people can get connected to God, to each other, and to the world. If you would like someone to talk to or to pray for you, you can email us at prayer at bethanysite.com. We also greatly appreciate everyone that gives so generously at Bethany. If you'd like to give, you can do so by clicking Give in the top right menu on our homepage at bethanysite.com. Again, thank you for joining us online. We hope that this service will be a blessing to you. It's so good to see everyone, and if you're watching online, we just want to welcome you, and we're in this series called Believe, and if you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6, John chapter 6, and uh, last week we started this series, Pastor Stu gave a great message on uh, Jesus uh, feeding uh, the 5,000, and I'm going to pick up the story. I love the stories of Jesus, I've loved them since I was a little boy, I was really blessed to have Christian parents, and uh, I loved uh, these stories, and one of the cool things uh, is that John's gospel many times uh, gives us a different perspective than uh, the other gospels, Matthew Mark and Luke. And it's interesting that all four Gospels have the story of Jesus um, multiplying the bread and fishes and feeding the 5,000. And then John kind of gives us some uh, real information and teaching that Jesus gives on being the bread of life. Uh, the other awesome thing that we're going to be doing uh, uh, tonight and uh, on Sunday, we're going to be uh, having um, uh, communion. And so as you came in, you were probably given a communion cup and bread. And if you're watching online, we'd love for you to go ahead and uh, grab uh, whatever you have to, uh, to be able to take communion with us. Uh, one of the cool things about this uh, story is I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to tell it to you, and then I'm going to kind of land on the theme verse. And the theme verse uh, is verse 28 and 29. And uh, it really is this idea that the, the work that God requires from us is actually faith, that we're to believe in him. So let me read to you verses 16 all the way down to verse 35. And just remember, Jesus has already fed the 5,000 and the disciples are going to get into a boat and go across uh, the lake, and then Jesus is going to walk across the lake uh, to meet them in the boat. Uh, and uh, let me read it to you. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened, but he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. And then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, 
What must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and ever, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Well, I just love this scripture, and uh, I, I want to just kind of fill in um, the story and just tell it uh, a little bit, and then we'll jump in and look at the verse 28 and 29, kind of land on some things. Uh, just before verse 16, let me just kind of set the scene. Uh, in verse 15, it said, Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. John is the only one that kind of fills us in that the crowd was uh, trying to get him to become the, the food king. Uh, they really enjoyed the fish. They really enjoyed the bread. They had their fill. And uh, they had to work hard back in those days uh, to uh, have food. And basically it was farming and fishing. And you had to work really hard for food. And then here's you have this guy that can just multiply a little bit. And they wanted to make him the Caesar. They wanted to make him the king and force him to be that. And so Jesus gets his disciples going across the lake in the boat. And then he withdraws to a mountain. And we know from the other gospels that he begins to pray. What's really interesting is this storm happens. And if you remember, the Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. So when there is a wind, it comes down roaring down then drops down and there can be a storm in minutes and huge waves and it becomes very dangerous and as we look at the longer sections of Matthew and Mark in the story it talks about how terrible the wind and the waves were and the and the disciples are battling and they really don't have that far to go but they're not making any progress and they're battling and Jesus is up on a mountain and he's praying for them I don't know if you know all this detail but I'm kind of wonky and I love all this detail in the Bible so he's praying for them and he sees them and he's praying for them I could have a whole sermon on when you're in a storm Jesus sees you and he is in intercession. He's in prayer for you and you're not alone when you're in a storm. But that's not the message. So anyway, he's praying for them. And so then when it's just before the dawn, just before dawn is going to happen, and we don't know, uh, one of the things it says is the fourth watch in some of the... Um, different translation. The fourth watch was any time between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So somewhere in there, Jesus begins to go, and they've been battling all night this storm, and they're trying to get across the lake, and Jesus goes walking on the water. Now, I don't know if you've ever walked on water, but uh, it probably is a very difficult thing. I know because of how I'm built, I could never walk on water. Uh, I couldn't even swim on top of the water, and I have a really difficult time floating. You know, I should be able to float, but I've never been able 
able to keep my head up. This part stays up, but the other part, you know, goes under. So uh, I want you to know that, that Jesus is this amazing Savior and Lord, and he just starts walking across the waves. And I always imagine, you know, i always seen pictures of him when he's walking, like in movies and, in, you know, in, in depictions of him. You know, he's just walking, and there's a path, and the waves are parted, and he just does a straight line. But what if, you know, he's walking on the waves, they, he could walk on top of the waves and then go down and go up on the waves and go down, you know. And uh, I, before my knees got bad, I used to be able to do surfing. And I want you to know that waves are really cool. And you get to watch uh, waves and the way they curl. And I just think it's so cool that Jesus could walk on the waves, come up and down. And uh, Matthew lets us know that they think that they're seeing a ghost. And they're really, really frightened. And, and uh, they see this ghost and they're scared to death, you know. And they probably saw this funny thing bob up and down. He's walking on the water. He's getting closer. And then someone says, look at that, you know. And everyone looks, you know. And all of a sudden there's Jesus coming. But they don't know it's Jesus. And they think it's a ghost. And it's like one of the most terrible things that they see. And he's approaching. And John's description of it is verse 19 uh, through 21. Just three verses. He tells it very short. But Matthew and Mark give more detail. So I'm I'm adding the Matthew and Mark part. You just have to trust me. So they are watching, you know, Jesus come as they're coming. And Matthew tells the story of them saying, you know, something. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. You know, it is I. And he says, you know, uh, uh, have courage. Don't be afraid. And it is the most wonderful thing. And in verse 20 of John, it says, it is I. Don't be afraid. And I could make a message out of that. If you're in a storm, you know, Jesus is coming and you don't have to be afraid. And all three of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, have the same quote. It is I, don't be afraid. It is I, don't be afraid. But they think he's a ghost, you know. And when you think about it, what if... He was fooling them. What if it was a weird spirit, you know, and, and they have to trust him. And Peter says something amazing. Peter always is sticking his foot in his mouth. He says, uh, if it is you, Lord, have me walk on the water and meet you. I bet you every disciple just froze, took that in for a second, looked at Peter and then just kind of went, oh, my goodness, you know, and, and okay, did he really say that? And if you know the story, Peter goes out on the water, and just before he gets to Jesus, he looks and he sees the waves and the wind, and he sinks, and Jesus grabs him and saves him and says, oh, you have little faith, and then they get into the boat. John skips over all that, and you probably say, well, why didn't you skip over all that? Because I like that story so much, and I just wanted to set the scene, okay? So uh, Jesus gets in, and then notice it says, verse 21, Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Immediately they get to the shore. I don't know if you've ever driven when you're tired. Have you ever driven when you're super tired, and then all of a sudden you're there? And you think back, you know, I don't remember the last 50 miles. I can't recall anything. You know, that's a dangerous thing. And these guys are tired, and then all of a sudden they're at the shore, and and it's just like they were transported, and they're there. And then it says in verse 22, there's this idea, where is Jesus? And uh, the crowd realizes, they're the opposite shore, they realize that the disciples have gone, they've taken the boat, so they figure Jesus has stayed, but they can't find Jesus. Then some boats come over from Tiberias, and they realize that Jesus is gone, and they want him to be the food king, so they get in the boats, and they go over to where Jesus is, and they begin to 
talk to him, and the first thing they say to him, verse 25, Rabbi, when did you get here? You know, and they're, what they're really saying is, we want you to do more food making. We want you to be king. And Jesus answered, verse 26, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, I'm the vending machine, and that's really why you want me. It's not because you saw, oh my goodness, this is the savior of the world. Oh my goodness, this is the prophet sent from God. Oh my goodness, this is the Messiah. You just want the food. And then he says something really interesting. Don't work for food that spoils. Don't waste your time working for food that spoils. But you want to work for the food that endures life eternal, everlasting life. And he takes the idea of physical food and he switches it to the idea of spiritual food. And he says, you need to trust in me because I have the seal of God's approval. And they pick up this idea of doing works. Verse 28, they ask him, what must we do to do the work God requires? And they're talking about, you know, good works. What, what do you want us to do? What, what laws do you want us to follow? What, what do you want us to do that we can have you be the food king? And then Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. And so he changes it and he takes their language, works, but he changes it and says the work is really believing. And so many times we say, you can't work for your salvation, you just believe. It's by faith. It's, it's through his grace, it's by his grace through faith. But here, Jesus uses their language and says, the work that God requires is that you believe in me. So keep that in your mind. We'll just keep going a little bit, and then I'll jump back into that. So they say, well, what sign can you give us? We want to see more. We want to see more food come. What will you do? And then they refer back to Moses. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. And that's when the children of Israel uh, left Egypt. And Moses was leading them. And God sent this special food, this manna, this bread that fell every morning. And they could have food. And he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus corrects them and says... It wasn't Moses that gave him bread, it was God. And then he changes it even more. He says that there's this bread from heaven, and it's the Father who gives true bread from heaven. And Jesus is the true bread. Jesus is the true bread. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they respond, sir, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declares openly declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's the most wonderful thing that Jesus is the bread of life. And he also is the water that our souls need to never be thirsty. Jesus is talking about something spiritual and they're wanting something physical And and I want to jump back and look at this idea of what must we do to do the work that God requires. And uh, Jesus says the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. And this is the idea that the most important thing is faith. It is believing in him. And the whole uh, economy of God is the idea of faith. I um, received this book um, from my father-in-law probably 25, 30 years ago. It was an old book um, uh, written by Matthew Mead. Uh, It's called uh, Almost Christian Discovered. It was written in uh, 1661, 
And so I grabbed a section of it, so I'm giving him credit so you don't think that I came up with this myself, but I modernized it and I also added my own thoughts to it. But I want you to know that uh, the New American Standard Bible has this verse uh, that we're looking at. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So I want you to know that faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Faith, believing, trusting in Jesus, and the whole of life, not just the beginning of believing in Jesus, but the whole following of Jesus is trusting in him and walking by faith. So in this book that I read, he uses this um, older expression of almost Christian. Now, in our home, almost is a really good word. And Matthew Mead, when he writes this, almost is not a good word. But in my, our family, I use almost when I taught my kids to catch ball. Uh, I, when they were really, really little, I would throw them a, a ball, a, you know, a light ball or a light football, and I'd throw it to them, and they would try to catch it. And this is when they're really small, and they, and they would almost catch it, and I'd say, almost, almost. And it's a wonderful word. It's not like, oh, you missed it. It was positive, almost, you know. And then eventually they catch it and you celebrate, run around the room, and they just love, you know, catching the ball and they become, you know, sports people the rest of their life because, you know, they can catch, the, you know, ball. And their dad said, almost. But in this, almost is like uh, the mechanic saying, I worked and worked and worked on your car and I almost got it started. You know, it's not really good. So let me give you 10 things of almost Christian. They didn't have faith. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't put their trust in him, but they almost are Christian. So let me give you 10 of them. You can do the work of being a good person, doing good works all the time. People that know you say, he's a good guy or she's a great gal. You can be someone that, that is such a good person and always doing good works and be an almost Christian. Number two, you can do the work of being highly educated and be an almost Christian. You can have your high school degree. You can have your bachelor's. You can have a master's. You can have a doctorate. Uh, my brother, you know, when he was 14, knew that he was going to be a carpenter. And so, you know, he was like a journeyman uh, by the time he was 20. He started really young, and he got into apprentice school, and he started working. And, you know, and then he became a supervisor, and then he became, you know, uh, uh, you know someone that's in charge of a whole construction thing. And he just loves it, and he can work with his hands. And so either way, you go trade school or you go to education. I want you to know you can be highly educated in anything and be almost Christian. Number three, you can do the work of being highly religious. You can attend church, you can join a church, you can attend Sunday school, go to Bible studies, get baptized, and almost a Christian. You can come from a Christian home and have Christian parents and Christian grandparents and you can have someone in your family in the past that was a pastor. I've heard it all the time. You know, my uncle, you know, was a pastor or my great-great-grandfather was a pastor in the Midwest. I hear all those kind of things. And you can have all that and come from all that and just be an almost Christian. Number five, you can study the scriptures 
You can uh, believe that they are holy scriptures. You can attend Bible school. You can even attend seminary. You can believe the correct theology. You can understand good doctrine. And still, almost Christian. Number six, you can be highly gifted, you know, spiritual gifts of tongues and, and um, prophecy and knowledge, but still be an almost Christian. Number eight, you can be highly generous. You can be the, one of the best givers, and you can do a double tithe, a triple tithe. You can give 90% of everything you make. You, you can give to charity and give to the poor and give to the church. You can even start your own foundation for giving and give all that you possess and still be an almost Christian. You can even drive out demons. You can even drive out demons in Jesus' name and you can perform miracles in Jesus' name and still be an almost Christian. The best example is one of um, Jesus' disciple, Judas Iscariot, the son of perdition. If you don't know what perdition means, just translate it to damnation. He's the one that betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, and he would go out on the preaching tours and the, and the missionary tours with the, the other disciples, and they said they did all those things. They drove out demons, and they performed miracles in Jesus' name, but still an almost Christian. And number 10... This is the one that just hurts me the most. You can be a pastor. That's terrible, isn't it? And preach powerfully the word of God and still be an almost Christian. The way I've described all these is what faith is not, what being a Christian is not. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 7, and 23, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me. The currency of the kingdom of God is faith. The work of God is none of those things that I listed on the top ten. The thing that makes you a Christian is that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you believe that he's the sent one from God. For the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And Ephesians 2 says, for it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there are good works, but they come after we do the work of faith, where we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in him. I don't know if you've noticed, we've been on the road uh, this last uh, a weekend when Memorial Day, we were on the road, and I don't know if you noticed, but there is a lot of road virus out on the roads. 
uh, on those long holidays. Road virus, I'm talking about RVs, trailers, you know, they slow everything down. And uh, we always call it road virus, and they stop saying that, you know. But there's just all these trailers and fifth wheelers, and they're out there. And, you know, especially when you're going over the pass, you know, they're going slow. And if, they, if there's one little trailer that's going slower than them, you know, by two miles, they try to pass them, and then you're, uh, so. And, and I want you to know, every, every one of them that I saw, there'd be a truck or a van or an SUV pulling the trailer, pulling the trailer. And I never saw, of all these trailers, I never saw a trailer with a truck pushing it. It was always the truck was first. And I want you to know that faith, faith is the truck. And works follows afterwards. It's the trailer. And God has prepared for us to do good works. But the first work is for us to believe in Jesus Christ. And not just at the moment of salvation, but the rest of our lives. Believing in him, becoming more and more practiced in trusting him and having faith. One of my favorite verses, Matthew 17, 20, says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. In another place, Jesus said, what's impossible for men is not impossible for God. All things are possible for God. And one of the things on my prayer list that I have every morning is I have a top ten mountain-moving, impossible mountains that I ask God to move. And i got to tell you, I'm, this, this morning I, I had eight of them. I couldn't put down ten because God has already answered two of them. He's already moved two of those, uh, those mountains. And it's just amazing if you actually would put down those mountains, start trusting him, and your life of faith just grows and grows and grows. But our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen?